Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on the earth. Hebrews 11.7 By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir with a righteousness that is in keeping with faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David, for uh, reading that long but important passage. This is a prop for later, so just whetting your appetite for what's to come. Okay, good morning. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint Church, and it's a pleasure to be with you in God's house to worship Him and to proclaim this important truth. Um, so we're going through the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. We, yeah, there we go. You jumped ahead on my slide. So we're going through the book of Hebrews in the New Testament of the Bible. As a congregation, since January, we have been working our way through this letter. So we started in January. It's mid-April, and it's, it's been a long process of us as a church just really looking at this important uh, letter to us as the church of Jesus. And we realized that the, uh, the letter was written to encourage a group of Christians that were suffering to encourage them that no matter what the situation or circumstance they faced, that they could look to Jesus and not, did not need to fear or return to their old relig religious systems for hope. That Jesus was better. That Jesus was their hope. Then in Hebrews, we get to chapter 11, which contains a long list of heroes of faith. In that list of the people of faith, there are three significant Old Testament figures. Everybody in that list is important. But there's three significant Old Testament figures that we're going to focus on in the coming weeks. So normally at Waypoint, we do something from the New Testament, then we do something from the Old Testament. Well, here we are in the middle of a series about the New Testament. But actually, as we talk about Hebrews, you notice we've been talking a lot about the Old Testament. But we're going to, we're going to spend three weeks in the Old Testament looking at Noah, Abraham, and Moses. So let's talk about Noah. When you hear the name Noah, what are some words or ideas that come to mind? Noah. Water, ark, animals. Pardon? Rainbow, flood, judgment. All right, how many of you think about faith or a bow and arrow when you hear about Moses? I mean Noah. What do you guys really think about? You guys probably don't think about this, but you might think about the Russell Crowe, Emma Watson movie, uh, which is not really accurate, but it's kind of fun to watch, but not, not biblically very, very accurate. Or the children's uh, paintings, which are kind of scary because we put up the story of Moses on the wall, but it's, I mean, the story of Noah, sorry. <laughs> story of Noah, I don't, we put the story of Noah on the wall, and it's kind of like when God's judging the world for their sins. So it's, it's a beautiful th theme of salvation, but it's also a little scary. One Christian comedian said, it's, it's funny we don't put the stoning of Stephen on the wall at children's uh, rooms, but we, will, we put Noah on the wall. And, and it's, so these are some of our representations of Noah. So let's look at Noah this morning. And we're really going to look at the brokenness and sinfulness of the world, faith, and a God who saves. So we're going to hear about God's righteous judgment, Noah's faith, God's salvation, becoming an heir of righteousness, and a giant bow. It's going to be better than a Russell Crowe movie. Just, just letting you know that. So. 
All right, moments ago, David read to us a large portion of the Noah account in the Bible. And thanks, David. Um, it's good to hear God's Word read out loud. And we're, we're thankful that we can come together on Sunday morning and hear the Word of God as a congregation, even, even these long passages. So as we look at the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 and the faith of Noah, we get to the... Let's start off just by looking at the first verse. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is what the ancients were commended for. The journey of faith of all the people on this list is a journey to trust God and get back to the promise that he gave to us in the garden. When I gave a sermon a few weeks ago about rest, like in the middle of Hebrews, like he's talking about all these other Old Testament things, the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus entering into the courts, you know, the sacrifice, the priest, the priestly role. And then he talks about this rest. He talks about the rest that they were promised in Canaan to Moses, but they never fully achieved, and the rest that we can have today. So I would, I would say that the list is people return, trusting God to return to the rest that he promised. If you notice on the list of faith, it does not start with Adam and Eve. It starts with, because uh, they were the ones who had the rest and lost it. It actually starts with Cain, and then moves on to Enoch, and then in verse uh, Enoch, and then in verse 7, we get to Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So the passage says, by faith, when warned about things not yet seen. Who warned him? God did. And what were the things not yet seen? In Genesis 6, 17, it says, look, this is from the New Living Translation. It's written in modern English. Um, so that's why it's trying to say, like, God's like, look, you know, wake up. I'm about to cover the whole earth, the earth with a flood that will destroy everything that breathes. Everything on earth will die. So what did Noah do? God gives him this, this message. And according to Hebrews uh, eleven seven, when warned about the things not yet seen, Noah does three things. He had a holy fear, he condemned the world, and he became an heir of righteousness through his faith. So let's unpack this. First thing, he had a holy fear. By faith, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, uh, he built an ark to, to save his family. So he has this holy fear. Some translations say a reverent awe. But the old King James says it best. It says he was moved with fear. Have any of you ever feared a big weather event? I've uh, talked with people who survived tornadoes in Georgia and Alabama, and they are moved with fear to stay away from tornadoes anywhere ever. Talk with someone who survived one with mattresses on their head. I mean, you will hear horror stories. I mean, they really thought they were going to die. Uh, I once met a few people in Thailand who survived the great tsunami of, 20, of 2004. And even three years later after the event, they were terrified just to talk about it. I mean, they almost would. I asked them a couple questions. Probably was a little insensitive. I didn't think about it. They wouldn't even talk about it. On a lighter note, here in the triangle, a mention of coming snow and ice-covered roads can, roads can move people to fear. Remember the snowpocalypse of February 2014? This is Glenwood Avenue, right around like Fred Anderson, Toyota, uh, Umstead Park. 
Look at the next picture. This is a different angle, same picture. One more. This was a really popular meme. It went all over the world. <laughs> People were making memes of the snowpocalypse. Cars are sliding off the road. People have a fear because they live through this. You try to get home from work and you slide off the road. People from up north will say, we don't know how to drive here or whatever, but I'm like, I don't know what it is. You drive and you slide off the road. <laughs> like, uh, maybe it's the tires or something. I don't know. A lot of people from up north live here, so some of them are probably sliding off the road too, right? It's not just the southern people sliding off the roads. Uh, so let's get back to Noah, the important stuff, and picture the scenario. So God comes to Noah and says that because, the, because of the evil and violence in the world, that God is going to destroy the earth with a great flood, so that Noah should build this massive boat. And in holy fear and in reverence for God, Noah trusts God and begins the long an arduous process of building a giant boat. He begins building the boat on dry land, though, far from the ocean. We don't know where exactly where he lived, but we know that he wasn't a boat builder by trade. Um, he was most likely a farmer. Um, he wasn't a full-time shipbuilder, and he didn't really live near a huge body of water where he was building the boat to move it into. So imagine now building a boat in, say, the middle of, like, Oklahoma and just assuming that one day the oceans will reach Oklahoma and the boat will float. People would probably think you're crazy, and I think at the time of Noah they thought he was crazy too. Um, it would also take a really long time, a lot of money, and a lot of resources to build this massive ship. But he had a holy fear and continued to build the ship. Tim Keller, when pre preaching on this passage, uh, found an old Puritan pastor who gave a sermon on this passage, and this is what Thomas Manton, the old Puritan pastor, said on the faith of Noah. The difference was the people of the world did not tremble with fear until the waters reached the rooftops. Noah trembled in fear when God did but speak. I love that quote. The people didn't tremble till they saw the ice on the roads, and they, but after you've seen the ice on the roads, then you tremble, I guess. But the people at the time of Noah, they didn't tremble at the word of God. They went their own ways. But Noah did. So Noah believes God and builds a ship for over 100 years. We don't know the exact, but some people say 120, which is a significant Old Testament number, but for a long time. So at this point, I want to take a break, a side excursion, and I want to address three things about the flood, about Noah and the flood. Just three things that people ask. Why did people live uh, before Abraham live so long? And the best guess, all I can say is the best guess scholars have is that because they were closer to the perfection of Adam and Eve and the, and the garden, and you know, they were perfect in the garden. Maybe sin and disease hadn't taken its full toll on human bodies. We, we just don't know. We just we take what the Bible says at its word. The second one, and this is a bigger one, bigger question people often ask, did Noah really get all the animals in the entire world on the boat, and did the flood cover the whole earth or just part of the world where Noah lived? So did it, and this is a common question people ask. There's a lot of speculation surrounding these issues, and the best answer I can give you is that the Noah account in Genesis 6 through 9 is more focused on the sinfulness of the people in the world, the faith of Noah, the grace and mercy of God to save his creation, the new covenant God makes with the creation, 
and that even after God judges the world and makes the covenant, people are still sinful and don't fully trust God. The story is pointing us to our need to be saved and pointing to God's covenant faithfulness that starts with Noah, he makes this covenant with Noah, and continues with Abraham, who he talks about Abraham and his family in Genesis chapter 12 through 50. So all I can say is, in my opinion, in the opinion of many Old Testament scholars, we can take Genesis 6 through 9 at its word that God did send a flood of judgment, Noah built a large vessel, God saved Noah and his family and many animals, and God made a covenant with the creation, the people and the animals, that he would never again flood the entire earth. So in Genesis 6-9, we can't get all the science and the specific details of the, the scientific details of the flood or how the, you know, how the animals and the plants. It's just not a scientific document. We can only speculate on those things. But Genesis 6-9 through is about God's covenant faithfulness. So that's all I really, I don't have a lot of time to go into that. There's a lot of controversy and, and different opinions on this, but I just want to focus on definitely Genesis 6 or 9 is the key focus is God's covenant faithfulness and preparing us for the, the covenants that God makes with Abraham and, and his plan to save the world through Jesus. The third issue I wanted to address is in relation to the Noah account in Genesis and how People in the past, Christians in the past, have justified the slavery of Africans in the European colonies by twisting the story of the curse on one of Noah's sons after the flood. I read a little bit about the history of this, and it's, it's a grievous sin of the church. And it was a clear twisting of Scripture to allow people in the church to maintain the practice of a grievous evil against God and his people. I repent for the church of the past, and I pray that we as this church today continually check our hearts and our actions to never twist scripture to defend cultural sins. Forgive us, Jesus. So those are three things I just wanted to address when I'm addressing the flood. We're not doing a whole series on Genesis, so we won't come back to this, but I, I did want to address those, particularly that third one really breaks my heart when I hear that. But I think, what do we need to do to continually check ourselves as the church today to not twist scripture to um, defend cultural sins. All right, so now what can we learn? On a, on a, th those are deep things. Now let's get back to the, the goodness of God and, and his faithful promise. So what can we learn from Noah's holy fear? Uh, one thing, according to Charles Spurgeon, when he, he preached on this a lot. He really preached on Noah. I found a few sermons that he gave on Noah. But he says, uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, says, to trust God at his word in ordinary life. Spurgeon says this, Notice first that Noah believed in God in his ordinary life before the great test came. Can we be a people, I love this, so I put it in here, because can we be a people who just trust God in ordinary life? Noah was just living his life when God came to him. It wasn't in the catastrophe. He didn't see the floods coming, and then he starts building the boat. God asked him to trust him even before the trial came. Let us be people who trust God in ordinary life. And when the storm comes, we're ready, ready to be agents of God's justice and God's salvation. God has asked us as his church not to build an ark. He's not asking us to build a big boat, but he is asking us to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I thank my brother who came all the way from India to, to share with us a little bit of, of the picture of what that looks like. It's going to be a long and arduous process, just like it was for Noah. It's a lifelong process. 
but we are moved with fear to proclaim God's salvation to a lost, broken, and hurting world. We have been set free. We have been called. We have been saved. And we are called to bring that salvation and that goodness of God to others. Let's do that. The second thing we see in Hebrews 1.7 about the faith of Noah is that he condemned the world. By his faith, he condemned the world. In a modern English, this sounds a little, not harsh, but maybe a little confusing. One commentator put it like this. He said, by faith, Noah thus put the rest of the world in the wrong. Let me give you a story that might explain this. So when I lived, I, I work with a lot of people from a lot of different cultures. And in some cultures, maybe the salary of government employees or the salary of employees is a little lower. So people think that there's these perks. They can just kind of take, take paper and pens from work. They can use the cars, you know, that are on the weekends that are for the job. And everybody does it in this one culture. I'm not going to say which culture it was, but that I was talking to this, this guy. He wanted to be a follower of Jesus. He was young in his faith. And he said one day he felt convicted that he should stop doing it. So he asked me, he said, Danny, I, I felt good about it until guess what happened? Guess what happens if one guy at work stops doing something? Do you think everyone else is like, oh, it's so great. You have your moral value. I'm so happy for you. No, they were all mad at him. They were angry at him. His actions of, of doing what was right condemned all of them and showed that they were doing what was wrong. So here's Noah every day standing out there building this giant boat. I mean, he had to be a rich guy. He had to figure out ways to make lots of money so he could invest it in this, this thing that took a long, long time to build. So people saw it. It wasn't like a hidden thing. Some of us can hide our faith, you know, hide our, what we're doing for Jesus, but Noah couldn't. He had to build it. It was, it was out there. And people laughed at him. But then the, the condemning comes. Noah does it, and it happens. He believed in God, and, and God did judge the world, and all those who didn't were condemned. Um, the third thing that we see in Hebrews 1.7 about the faith of Noah is he became an heir of righteousness through his faith. And I want to proclaim this morning that through our faith in Jesus, we too become heirs of righteousness. And to help this, explain this, I want to focus on three terms. So I'm going to leave this morning with just three ideas. The first one is covenant. The second one is faith. And the third one is salvation, and particularly being an heir of righteousness. What does that mean in light of salvation? So covenant, this is a key term in the Old Testament. The covenant that God makes, the covenants that God makes with Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and then as we looked at a few weeks ago when Pastor Josh preached about the Ezekiel passage where it talks about the new covenant that God makes with us that the author of Hebrews and a few other Old Testament authors are very aware of and, and point us to, that there's this new covenant. But let's look at the covenant God makes with Noah. It says, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. So I'm going to stop right here and leave that up. So a covenant was an agreement. The only time I see in modern America where we have the covenant is normally in like uh, when you enter some apartment complexes and say like, this is a covenant community. You guys ever seen that? I think that's the only place I've ever seen that in like modern America, other than maybe at a wedding the pastor will talk about covenant or in church. And, uh, but the covenant was, was an agreement between two groups. 
A lot of times the covenant was between a greater king and a smaller king. It was called a suzerain vassal covenant. They find a lot of these in the ancient Near East to be similar to maybe like uh, ancient China and Korea. China was the bigger power, Korea was the smaller power, so they made some kind of covenants to protect each other and Korea could maintain some of their autonomy, but they had to pay taxes and other things to, uh, to China. And normally in those kind of covenants, that there was a penalty for breaking the covenant. Normally the penalty was that the, the larger army would come and invade the smaller army. So I want you to remember that. So that's, that's an ancient Near East covenant. There are a few other kinds of covenants, but when people are making a covenant with God, we normally think it's that kind of covenant. God is the great king. We're the, the lower, weaker. So when God makes a covenant with us, we're grateful that he's even willing to do that. So here's the, here's the uh, passage in Genesis, uh, um, later on in Genesis, where God really confirms, after the flood, he confirms his covenant with Noah and the earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will floods destroy all the earth. Then God said, I give you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures. So notice this covenant is universal. It's with Noah and all the creatures for all generations to come. So it's still continuing on. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send the clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all the living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy the earth. When I see, when I see the rainbow, so God's saying, when I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I'm confirming with all the creatures on earth. What is God doing? He's continually repeating the word covenant and his promise. Now, I want you to think about this. So the word in, in this translation is rainbow, but the actual Hebrew word is a hunting bow, a bow used to kill in war or to kill for food. So if you're an ancient Near East person and you hear this message, Moses gives it to the people, and you hear that God makes a covenant with humanity and the sign is a bow. So normally you would think if God's greater, where would the bow be pointing? It would be pointing down at the people. You mess up, that's how any ancient Near East person would assume a bow would be, right? No ancient Near East person would think the greater king would walk into the covenant with the bow pointed at himself. But when God looks down, he sees the bow pointing at himself. I'm not the first person to notice this. This is a lot of Bible scholars have noticed this in, in the past. God's, when God looks down, he sees the bow pointing back at itself. And, and most of us as Christians would say this is pointing to one day he's going to take the arrow. He's going to die so that we could be free. And, but any ancient Near East person would think it's, it's odd that the covenant was a bow pointing back at the, God, at, at the God or gods, the greater king. Normally it would be the greater king ready to strike at any moment you break the covenant. So we believe, and if you look, Pastor Lawrence is going to preach on the covenants with, with Abraham. Same thing, the covenant with Abraham that we'll learn about next week. God takes both sides of the deal. God's like, if you break the covenant, I'll pay the penalty. And we'll look at that next week. So let's remember that. We have a covenant God and covenant faithfulness willing to take the penalty for us. Next thing is faith. 
And I want to ask you something. Right now, what do you need to trust God with? The covenant faithful God. What does it mean for you to have faith? So in Hebrews 11, I'm just going to read this passage. We didn't go over it. It's a, it's a lot of words up there, so I'll, I'll read it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us not draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that brings faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. This is just before, this is in Hebrews 11, I'm sorry, this is from Hebrews 10. This is just before the great faith chapter. This is kind of a summary of everything the author of Hebrews has said beforehand. And I want to challenge you this morning to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And notice the terminology here. It talks about the temple, the priest, the, the tabernacle, the curtain. And then it says, and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is an allusion to baptisms. It's also an allusion to the flood. Peter, in his letter, compares our baptism to the flood. And another interesting thing is the same word ark is the same word of the Ark of the Covenant that's in the back of the temple. The Bible uses the same words, the same uh, Hebrew word. So my next question for you and for me is faith. Do we have faith in the covenant promise that God made with us? Abraham's faith was on something he had never seen. But we know Jesus is real. We, yes, we've never physically seen him. None of us were here 2,000 years ago, but we know he's real. And that 2,000 years ago, God enters into human history to set us free. That the covenant he promised to Noah and he promised to Abraham and the covenant that failed with, with Moses and the new covenant he promises in Ezekiel is, all comes true in Jesus Christ. Do we have faith in the unseen? We have the promise of Jesus. Let us put our faith in that. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. The third thing I want to look at this morning is salvation and this idea of heir of righteousness. Here is the good news. Because of our faith in Jesus, we are saved. We are heirs of righteousness. Not our own righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. New Testament scholar Peter O'Brien says this on this passage. It was so good, I'm just going to read the whole thing. It says, the description of Noah as an heir makes an important connection between those who lived by faith before the flood, namely Cain and Enoch, those from the first part of the list, uh, verses 1 through 6, and, and in Noah himself in, in verse 7, and those who responded to God's word after it, namely Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are joint heirs of the divine promise. And this goes back to... a. Uh, for chapter 11, uh, 8 and 9. And then it says, the theme of the heir or inheritance is a recurring one in Hebrews. Jesus, the Son of God, is the heir of all things, Hebrews 1, 2. While believers are called heirs of salvation, Hebrews 1, 14. And what, if God, has, what God has promised, Hebrews 6, 12 and 6, 17, namely an internal inheritance, Hebrews 9, 15. The notion of being an heir of, of the righteousness according to faith, implies that others who respond to God in faith will share with Noah 
and the righteousness God gives those who trust him. For the listeners of Hebrews, the original audience and us, Noah exemplifies those who respond to God's word. They have been called upon to do the same thing, to persevere in faith. We have been called upon to do the same thing, to persevere in faith, looking to comparable unseen things. Are you looking for the things unseen? Is your hope in Jesus? Is your hope in the covenant God and his covenant faithfulness? Is your faith in God's word? You say, sometimes we'll say, well, God's not speaking to me. Like he, he came to Noah. He came to Moses. But I would, believe, I would say that God speaks to us through his word and his church. And as we work it out when we're in small group and we're studying the word together, God is speaking to us. Are we listening? One thing Jesus clearly said is go make disciples of all nations. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. We know that God is speaking to us and that these things are just as real to us and, and challenge us and there are things unseen. Some of these things are unseen. How in the world are we going to do this? How are we going to trust God? I'm going to leave with one story. So this week I was at the National Bridges. I work for Bridges International. I'm a campus uh, chaplain at Duke University. I work with international students uh, in addition to my role here at Waypoint. And my, actually my role at Waypoint is part of that because we're one church, one body. We all work together. But um, I went to the National Bridges Conference, the organization I work for, and there was about 400 of us from around the country gathered to just share stories, be encouraged, be trained. And there was, there was three girls there that I met. Two, one of them I had already met, two I had never met. And they are actually international students who came over and studied in Boston. And now they, they have given up future careers to join staff with Bridges full time. All of them, their parents thought this was a terrible decision. All of them became believers while they were here studying. And, uh, but all of them feel compelled to share the good news with other international students. And they're raising support. None of these, these are not paid positions. All of them have to, I mean, it will be paid, but they have to raise their own support. But they feel called. And 10 years ago, Eric and I were sitting in a conference in Thailand asking God, what are we supposed to do? We knew that we were leaving our post overseas. And, and a guy stands up on the stage and he says, do any of you know that there's about 700,000 international students in America? And uh, there's not many people trying to reach them. There, there are, but we, we need more. At this time now, there's over 1.2 million at the present, but this was uh, 10 years ago. And he said, we really want someone to go to Boston. And I was enrolled in seminary, and my seminary had a Charlotte campus, which was close. I'm from Atlanta. Charlotte's closer to home. I was, in a, I was a distant student through Charlotte. And I wanted to go to Charlotte because I thought it'd be easy and close to home. And Erica, my wife, who's, you know, normally I'm the risk, the, the crazy risk taker, she just looks at me and she's like, we have to go because my seminary's main campus is in Boston. And I was, part of why I was going back to the U.S. was to finish my degree. And we went by faith. We didn't have a clue what we were doing, to be honest. Um, I mean, I knew that I loved international students. When I lived in the dorm overseas, it was probably 100 students from many different nations. I went to learn about one culture, but I ended up learning about a lot of cultures. So we went, and it was really hard. And God broke us. 
Erica gets diagnosed with lupus while we're there. Well, it's really hard to live in a very expensive city that's very cold. We lived on an apartment on the, you know, you had to walk up three flights. She, her joints start locking up. We're like, God, was this a mistake? And then last week, these girls say, thank you, Danny, for coming to Boston. And that's it. Sorry. And God you really taught me a lot. I was preparing this sermon. It was really hard for me to prepare because I was thinking about so many other things. But actually, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about God's faithfulness. I can't tell you what God's calling you. I don't know what the unknown, the unseen is for you. But part of it is reaching his kingdom. Like our brother shared with us earlier, maybe just trying to build a relationship with someone. Someone, who, your neighbor, a friend. We have no idea what God will do through us. We have no idea. We know what we're called to do. Let's, let's build his kingdom. And I want to end with this. So the passage says that you know, Noah condemned the world, but there's a parallel passage in John. Everybody knows John 3.16. Anybody know John 3.17? A couple of you. Everybody, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm going to read the whole thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In the flood, at the same moment, God is judging the world, but he's also saving the world. You see that? Almost simultaneously, as the flood waters come down, it's judging, but it's saving. On the cross, God does the same thing finally. Ultimately, what could never be accomplished through the covenant with, with Moses. And that's kind of what the book of Hebrews is about. No priest can cover our sin. We need Jesus. We need the covenant faithful God to cover our sin. The covenants he makes with Noah and Abraham and the new covenant are still alive in us today. And we thank God for his faithfulness. That he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He saved us. He gave us his word. He told us to look at things unseen, to look ahead at the future kingdom we have and to bring people into that kingdom. So my challenge for you today is, is to remember the covenant faithfulness of God. Build up your own faith. Remember the salvation you have and, and proclaim that faith to others. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the covenant faithfulness that you promised to Noah. But most importantly, I thank you for the cross and the resurrection and the new life we have. God, I pray that all of us would remember the faithfulness of Noah and, and just remember that it's hard to build your kingdom, but you've called us to it and you've given us everything we need. And one day you will make all things right. And we, we look forward to that day. But while we're here right now, God, may we be faithful in loving you seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness and loving others and pointing them to the hope that you've given us in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen.